So I don't know how familiar you are with the uh, Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the conversations that Jesus has, but um, something that could annoy you if you're an honest reader is about half the time that someone asked Jesus a question, he did not answer the question that they asked. He answered a different question. And um, if our friends always do that to us, perhaps we'll be a little put off. But all of you, whether you have children or not, have done that with a child when they asked you a question. Perhaps answered a different question. Maybe a better question, maybe a, just a different question. Um, and the reason I'm saying that out loud is because when we come to a place where someone asks Jesus a direct question and he gives a direct answer, I am just so excited and encouraged by that because there is enough mystery in the world and there's certainly enough mystery in Christianity that when we have a place to land, it's just nice. That happens in Luke chapter 11. Um, the disciples ask Jesus to teach him to teach them to pray, and he does. And it's something that I think he has already taught to them, but he's teaching them. He doesn't mind teaching them again. He doesn't express any frustration with them or anything like that. Um, what's happening is the disciples want to be distinct. If you followed a rabbi back then, you would have a prayer, and one of the ways that you showed which rabbi you followed was the kind of prayer that you prayed. And so the disciples are going to reference uh, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, who uh, ended up worshiping him. And I, I love that about Scripture. Like, what better proof of Jesus' divinity? Do we know? I mean, none of my cousins would ever... <laughs> right, right, exactly. Although one of them is a model for The Onion, the article, and I'm so proud of him. True story. That's not in my notes. Yes, really. Um, he is. I'm really proud of him. Anyway. We should get back to the text. So in Luke chapter 11, it says this. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So they want the distinct Jesus prayer. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And you're like, he's forgetting lines. It's because he taught this more than once. And because in Matthew 6, when he teaches to pray, he says, pray this way. Which means we can use these words. But what's even better is learning to use the words and then expand each idea in our own stories. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And you're like, do we? Interesting that Jesus uses like passive implicit language. It's actually kind of eerie. Because what he's saying in the prayer is forgiven people forgive. Inevitably. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me, the door is now shut and my children are with me in bed, I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, sorry, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his impotence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs." 
A couple things about that. Just because it says impotence is a good thing doesn't mean all of you should email me impotently. I think sometimes people think that. That was supposed to be funny. It didn't work. All right, that's fine. What's more interesting is, who's God in this parable? He's a neighbor who's reluctant to get out of bed to help his neighbor. We will regularly come across challenging things in the scripture. And... um, it's good to notice those and take account of them. Jesus is not here describing the character of God so much as he's pressing on us to keep knocking on the door like the neighbor. But I wanted to point out, it's a little challenging that God in the story is the neighbor who doesn't want to get out of bed. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Picking up in verse 9, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The disciples see Jesus praying. They then ask him, partly because of what he looked like when he got up from prayer, because this happens other places in Scripture. I believe Jesus' countenance, the peace that filled his heart after prayer, was one of the reasons that they asked him to teach. Also because they wanted to have a distinctive prayer. Jesus teaches on prayer, and then he tells a series of stories encouraging us to persist in praying in this way. And I want to reference another Scripture real quick to point something out. In Matthew chapter 6, In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching. He teaches how not to pray like religious people. It's interesting. Don't pray like irreligious people. Pray then this way. And he gives the same structure. But then he says something. He says, you will be rewarded for going into your room, closing the door, not praying this way and praying this way. And I just wonder how seriously we take that. Jesus of Nazareth who healed who had power over nature who went to a cross rose from the dead many of us profess the Apostles Creed that Jesus said that by praying we will receive a reward he didn't say that a lot and yet we don't do it It's not because we're bad, it's because we're distracted and we're tired and we're not sure what the reward is and there's so much in Scripture. But I want to say something and I I want to frame it the right way. So I'm not calling it sin when we don't pray in our prayer closet every day. Okay? There's enough sin. Scripture lists enough sin. We don't need to add to it. But we do need to notice that Jesus modeled and taught prayer and said that we would be rewarded and we don't go. We need to notice that. A couple of things about the Lord's Prayer. This is the prayer. I love to pray the Psalms. I love the range of emotion. I think that's uh, part of the reason the Psalms are given to us in Scripture. 
I have used some of the acronym prayers before. There are a couple of them. One of them is ACTS. Some of you have heard of this. Uh, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication, which, by the way, uses the Lord's Prayer as its models. We could have a discussion, but we're not going to, about speaking in tongues. Um, Jesus and the Apostle Paul practiced listening prayer, um, but they didn't teach it as a model. Here's what I want to say. Every kind of prayer fits under this one. Every need that you and I have fits into one of the clauses Jesus gives. Every other kind of prayer is the child of this prayer. And so we at least need to learn well how to do what Jesus said when he said, pray this way. If not, we need to at least learn it well, if not master it, before we expand into other places. Those other places are good. Here's the thing. ACTS, praying in tongues, listening prayer, all of those kinds of prayer are made more fruitful and robust and delightful to our hearts when they come under this heading. Where did you get that, Matt? Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way. Then they asked him again to teach them to pray. And he said again, when you pray, pray this way. So, would you pray with me? Lord, would you help us to learn from you how to express concern to you, how to ask you questions, how to present our needs and the needs of our neighbors, that we might experience what you experienced when you rose from prayer. Peace, intimacy with the Father, a sense of identity and mission. In your name we pray. Amen. The rabbi's prayers collects all of our concerns. I, one of the things that's so interesting about preaching over the Lord's Prayer and setting myself up for abject failure by just giving one sermon to it This is when my wife will remind me after church, you're the lead pastor if you wanted to do a longer series like you can. I'm like, I know, I just... Is that you and I are very familiar with the language of the Lord's Prayer. And so I wonder if you missed something, which is what all is collected in this incredibly brief... Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And you're like, yes, I know those words, although I usually say them differently. I say them like I'm in 19th century Britain and from Matthew 6, not Luke 11. Isn't that the only time that we say art? Is when, yes, anyway. It covers food. It covers how we relate to God. It covers pain in relationships. Did you catch that? An assumption that people will hurt you and you'll hurt people and what do we do about that in prayer? Covers love, covers protection. We need protection. You know what else it covers is change. Most of us on our good days would admit we could be a little bit better humans, right? Be a little better at our job, be a little better at loving neighbor. We could be better at setting limits on ourselves and remembering how much sleep, whatever. Your kingdom come. 
In Matthew, that's your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So make my little kingdom, all the things that I have uh, power near, make those more like what you designed them to be. That's what we're asking. In the midst of the Lord's Prayer is a request and an assumption and a hope for change. And so the sermons on prayer, many of you came in this morning and you're like, I need more, I don't need to learn about prayer. I need real help with the real problems in my real life. Well, here's how we access it, at least in part, is by learning to say and then expand, Jesus, make my kingdom like your kingdom. All these things are collected, and they're not just collected, they're collected in the right order. You and I, left to ourselves, would begin prayers how? I. Right? That's not how Jesus says to do it. Why? Because his generosity is so subtle. Not only is he going to teach us to pray, and he's going to to imply that all of our own personal needs matter, but when do they matter? After we've said, Father, your name is good. Make my kingdom like yours. Then all of our daily needs. Doesn't that just make you feel a little bit less unsettled in mind? I don't know about you. I don't always know how much stuff matters. My emotions are not always a great gauge. I know I come across as so mature and professional. I don't always internally. Sometimes I get a little riled up. And I'm like, was that a big deal or was it not a big deal? 90% of people that come into my office ask me some version of this question. This happened to me. What is a big deal? Was it a big deal? What does God say about it? How do I pray about it? How do I move on with my life? The other 10% are saying, how do I... Uh, do relationships? How do I fight fair? Um, That's a different sermon. And what I love about the Lord's Prayer is Jesus is gently showing us that all of our needs and concerns and cares and anxieties and problems and joys matter. And he's gently showing us the right order to pray them in. We remember him first We remember that he is good in a world where we wonder if anything is good. We ask that our little kingdoms be more like his, for his glory, for our good, for the good of our neighbor. We imply that we are forgivers. It's eerie. Perhaps the thing Jesus taught most strongly while he was on earth was that men and women that know they're forgiven inevitably forgive. That's why this language is a little funny. It's sort of implied passive language. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And you're like, do we? Forgiveness means that you desire that person's good. That doesn't mean you have to be in relationship with them. It doesn't mean that uh, you're not in pain. It doesn't mean it's easy, by the way, either. When someone causes you pain, it's not easy to choose 
to not cause them pain in return. But Jesus states implicitly, which makes it more scary to me, that if we know that we're forgiven, we inevitably become men and women who forgive, which means not desiring the ruin of the person that caused us pain. doesn't mean that pain didn't matter. doesn't mean you just move right back towards them in a relationship and say everything's fine. Listen to me. Don't say everything's fine in your own mind or to them. That's a whole other matter. But the person that has caused you pain, you forgive them immediately. This is good for your heart because of what Jesus has done for you. And we do that, among other things, in prayer. We also do it in our minds and hearts. Because the alternative is awful for our hearts and minds to hold on to pain and to cause pain and as a response to pain. It's the worst alternative. So the rabbi's prayers collects our concerns and I want to point out something that's uh, implied here but more explicit in the uh, Sermon on the Mount version. And it's this. What's the first word of the Lord's Prayer? Yeah. Go ahead, say it again. Yeah. Teresa of Avila, 16th century mystic, um, ended up writing a lot of books because the Catholic Church was really nervous about what she was teaching and I'm so glad that they were nervous because her books are wonderful. She spends pages just talking about the word our. Because of all that it means and implies to you and I. It means that He is ours. And we are His. It means that He is our Father. It means that we're not alone. That we have a good Father. It means that we're not alone. It means that this Father has other children. That when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're praying for them also. It means that we're not alone because we have the Holy Spirit. The last verse in this passage. Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. The rabbi's prayer collects our concerns and then asks the Father. We are asking God for things. We're not just describing Him as good Father. We're asking Him to meet our daily needs. Give us this day our daily bread. We're asking Him to forgive us. We're expecting that in our knowledge of His forgiveness, you and I become forgiving people. And we ask Him to protect us. Even as we're praying our concerns, we're being aligned gently and generously and graciously by God to the things that matter, which are alignment with Him, request that our life be like His, the kingdom. We're praying over the collective needs. We're becoming, in prayer, forgiven forgivers, and we're asking for protection. The first word in Luke chapter 11 of the prayer and the second word in Matthew's version of the Lord's prayer is what? Our. These words are so familiar to us, men and women, 
Don't let them become so familiar that you miss that this is the difference between Christianity and anything else, including its own distorted version called religion. Galatians chapter 4 and Romans chapter 8, here in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus calls God Father. In the Old Testament, God was referred to as Father 16 times and it was by the whole nation of Israel. In the four Gospels, Jesus refers to God as Father 60 times. This is the difference. And what's the difference between praying to God as God and God as Father? If God is God, let's be honest for a second, that's religion, and what do we think's happening? Maybe in our subconscious, maybe in our semi-conscious, maybe we're really excited about it. If God is God and we're praying to Him, He's a lever that works or a lever that doesn't work, which means we're in control. If God is a good Father, then humility is fully in there in the prayer means that we can't control God. This is the difference between uh, Christianity as a religion that transcends religion and Christianity as just a religion that we begin the prayer with a knowledge of our need and a knowledge of God's care. It transcends the way that humans throughout history have thought about prayer, which is if I do this, maybe God will do this. Jesus pushes back on more directly in Matthew 6 when he says, don't pray this way and don't pray this way. Pray this way. This is the difference. That because of Jesus, we relate to God as Father. And so we begin our prayers that way. Our Father. You have friends that you're concerned about? This is how we begin to pray for them. It's not the only way to pray for them. This is how we begin to pray with them, for them. And with them. In Galatians 4 and Romans 8, Paul says that we can cry out to God as Abba. I hope you're familiar with this word and not just the band, although the band is fine. I had to say it, half of you were thinking it. It's fine. I'm not going to sing it. But I am more tempted now. Whoever said that doesn't know how oppositional I am. Unless it was my wife, who does know and is trying to wisely... Never mind. You're a professional. Stop it. This is the difference. Because of Jesus, we call God Abba, Daddy, Father. Immediately acknowledging our need, immediately acknowledging His character and the fact that, metaphysics aside, He is a good Father. When I serve communion, I say this is the body of Christ which is for you and the blood of Christ which is for you. Because of it and its great power, we're known, loved, found, forgiven, healed, liked. I don't say all that. You'd be here till 1 p.m., but I say some of it each Sunday. Where do I get that? When you pray, say, Father. The rabbi's prayer collects our concerns, asks the Father, and reminds us of our need. What is our need? It's for the Spirit. Do we have the Spirit? Yes. Do we feel like we have the Spirit? No. So what do we do? Among other things, 
we learn to pray. We also follow. We sing. But we learn to pray. Some of you uh, like journals and notebooks. I like them a, a very much great deal. Like journals, notebooks. But I don't journal. Um, but this is my prayer journal. And in it, I write a section of the Lord's Prayer, and then I underline it, and then I expand it for myself. Spend a couple of lines, and then I write another section of the Lord's Prayer, and I underline it, and now I'm running out of time, because I have children and job and things, right? And so there are less lines and less lines some days. Some days I'm able to write more than half a page. I would encourage you to get some version of a journal, and you're like, I'm not a journaler. And those notebooks are expensive and silly, and you're right, they are. I have literally three right here. But Jesus said, go into your rooms and close the door and pray to your Father, and the Spirit will reward you. So get a journal. And this is non-metaphorical teaching by Jesus of Nazareth, who rose from the dead. He said, go into your room and close the door and pray to your Father. And he'll reward you. I'd encourage you to get a notebook and learn to write out the Lord's Prayer and then expand it for yourself and your neighbors and your hearts and your mind and your work and your concerns. Offering up to your good Father who loves you, your needs, your need for protection, your need for daily provision, your need for your life to be changed. I was going backwards through it. You're in my need to remember that he is a good father. What is our need? Our need is for the Spirit. We have the Spirit. So what do we do? We pray. And what happens when we pray? The Spirit assures us that he is ours and we are his. What happens when we go into our room and close the door and pray this way? The Spirit assures us that God is a good father. What happens when we actually follow Jesus and pray the way he said to pray? The Spirit assures us that we're not alone. What happens when we pray the way Jesus taught his disciples in Luke chapter 11? The Spirit assures us that the Father has other children that are also praying. And that gives peace to our heart in a different way. The implication of saying our Father, like the pronouns are different than the way you and I would use the pronouns, right? We would say I. Jesus said say our. And you're like, oh, I see what you did there. That was, that was a good one. What happens when we go into our room and close the door and pray to our Father? The Holy Spirit assures us that He is here, which is our deepest need. Even for those of us that's been fulfilled, it's our deepest need to remember that. How? Learning to pray this way. That we might remember and believe in our bones that he is a good, good father. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are busy and distracted folk.
would you help us remember your words, your commands to prayer, your descriptions of prayer? Would you send us into our prayer closets for just one or two or five minutes even, Lord, to remember that you are a good Father who from heaven knows our past, present, and future, whose name is holy, whose kingdom is alive in us and making our lives more like your kingdom, who will give us everything that we need, who both forgives us and sends us back as forgiving people and who protects us from temptation and evil. Lord, teach us to do so joyfully that we might enjoy the reward you spoke of. Peace, intimacy with you, a sense of identity and mission as sons and daughters of a good, good father. Amen.